welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 159 for Monday, September 20th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is the ever-grounded Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir, and if you would like to hear about what's underground in Eastward, a new game that Pixlers has been playing and streaming, uh, you can check out The Render Distance, and that is the extended version of the podcast. You can get that by becoming a member at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. You help us out, you help us produce more audio content for you, and you get extra audio content as a thank you. Absolutely. And uh, yes, thank you once again to uh, all our patrons listening in. So um, we... we start off every episode by talking about what's new in our Minecraft lives. And to be honest, like Underground has been most of what I've been doing in Minecraft this week. I have been clearing out some geodes in my hardcore world so I can harvest some amethyst and discussing the different approaches you can take to harvesting amethyst from a geode. Um, now, I wanted to ask you a question about this because you've mentioned your geode farm that you had kind of linked up to a drowned farm recently, but I think you've been dwelling more on the drowned farm side of things. How do you harvest amethyst from your geode? Do you do it manually or do you, have you got an automated system rigged up now? So the actual harvesting happens manually which a, with a Fortune 3 pick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A very specific fortune three pick that's made of iron that has mending on it but does not have any kind of mining uh efficiency speed. or anything yeah yeah mm -hmm. there's no efficiency on it because i have already lost three nodes i think yeah <laughs> uh and there's a there's a lot in there and uh specifically the ones that are easy to get to it's become kind of a, a pain when you start to accidentally destroy the ones that are the closest in reach <laughs> yeah so um i've got a bunch of i think it's scaffolding and i basically just hop myself up to the top and then mine on my way down what i did however is took a big square out of the bottom of the geode so i made it a square that covers the entire geode area with a water collection system in the same way that you collect cactus or anything yeah. else mm -hmm. so i don't have to worry about inventory management if i have uh amethyst crystals in my inventory i just toss them and as long as they don't land on another geode block which is another reason why i start start at the top down is that as i go travel down i can see uh oh there's a couple of crystals that have that didn't make it to the water they landed on another geode so uh not another geode they landed on another amethyst uh budding amethyst block so i'll just travel down kick everything off make sure it all goes in the water if my inventory fills up with stuff i'll just put it in the water again and then the water system is attached to the same sorting system that my zombie uh spawner is attached to so it's going to sort out the copper the flesh the the crystals uh there's a couple of other things too i get a lot of armor from the zombies as well so what i normally do is i'll go to that area i'll turn on the zombie spawner which turns everybody into drowned and then they start to pile up and then i start harvesting the amethyst and then as i reach the bottom i go i kill some zombies and then i just start the whole process over again so mm -hmm. while i'm in the area there's a number of things happening and i think that that might be the benefit of harvesting amethyst manually is like if you're going to be you need to be in the area for it to grow anyway. Yeah. So build a bunch of other things that are going to be useful to you nearby so you can spend time there and not just be watching the grass grow <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. or watching the crystals grow. Like make sure you've got other things to do in the area. And then whenever you walk by, just, well, I haven't been here in a while. I'll swing by the amethyst geode and just knock out a few crystals and see what's up. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's the approach I'm taking as well. It's I, I have three geodes really close to each other in an abandoned mine shaft. 
and I've now cleared out the area around each of those, cleared out all of the blocks which aren't the budding amethyst blocks, and I went through a little bit of a process of deciding how I was going to harvest everything, and came to the conclusion that, of course, harvesting them manually with fortune is going to get you up to eight times as many shards as it gets uh, if you're pushing them with pistons or breaking them with anything other than a pickaxe, and it just makes a whole lot more sense to do it that way if you can spare the time. I think the only way automating it makes any sense at all is if you have it on a long timer, you've got stuff you can do in the local area, and you plan on spending a while there building up a tiny trickle of amethyst shards over time. And so, yeah, I, I spent a bit of time discussing that on a video this week and then ultimately settled on just piling up a bunch of scaffolding like you say and doing the entire thing manually. I haven't got any water involved in it yet and a couple of people have suggested the approach of flooding the entire geode area so that all of the amethyst shards float to the top um, which mm -hmm. I, I think ultimately is a good idea and if you've got a conduit or something in there you don't have to worry about like water breathing being a factor. Uh, I think the only problem I find at that stage is it's the same problem as the shards falling down on top of another block the the shards potentially getting stuck underneath uh some of the other blocks in the area as they as they float around but if you're mining them with fortune then ultimately you're getting enough shards that you probably don't care if you miss one or two um yeah that would be that would be my idea as well uh if you're looking for reference for that uh cub fan did that on Hermitcraft yes. this year. yeah i believe that's the example my uh, my audience was giving me as well but uh yeah i did come up with quite a neat little uh circuit to attempt to automate some of it which uh, actually fills up a dropper with a certain number of items based on how many times an observer pulses and then self resets once it gets to four items which was going to make a lot of sense but then breaking the amethyst shard counts as a fifth action and so potentially that could ruin the whole system so i'm I'm still trying to trying to work out if there is a sensible way but it's just too much redstone to do every single uh crystal as efficiently as possible right if you've got maybe one or two budding amethyst blocks then maybe but at that point yeah you're, you're much better off getting as much as you can out of them anyway i would say that the thing to do would be to automate the smallest geode that you find yeah that's mm -hmm. farther away and inconvenient you know and then it just kind of harvests whenever you it happens to be live you know whereas if you've got a big one your time is better spent um, jumping around or swimming around or doing it whatever it is that you need to do to, to get them. Uh, swimming would be a good one because I think that would also reduce your mining speed for accidentally destroying the blocks, which yes. would be a good protection against that kind of stuff. As long as it doesn't make the process of breaking the crystals themselves kind of tedious. <laughs> too, yeah, you don't want that to be too much slower. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw this and I don't remember where I saw it. I think it was a thumbnail on YouTube and I apologize that I can't give credit where credit is due, but someone suggested that it would be nice if amethyst or budding amethyst blocks could be moved not destroyed or harvested but moved by pistons so the mm. idea is that you'd hook up a sticky piston to the budding amethyst and that every so often the sticky piston would basically like push it out pull it back and mm. that would jostle off the the crystals and they would just fall to wherever they were going to go at which point it becomes a lot easier to harvest them with pistons because rather than a piston aimed at every face you're just moving the block once you sacrifice one side that's not going to grow crystal you just kind of like shake it you know every every you know so many cycles i thought that was an interesting solution mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's, it's not not a, a terrible idea but i think ultimately there's not much precedent for blocks that can be 
moved by pistons but not obtained by silk touch mm-hmm. or anything like that so yeah i think i think it it gets into the territory of like people are just going to use flying machines to move them wherever they want them to be at which point they may as well be silk touchable anyway and yeah right. there's there's, a, there's a, a variety of arguments to be made there but either way i'm now harvesting amethyst to the best of my ability uh, elsewhere on empire's smp i was brought in on a a bit of a shenanigans when uh, one of the members of the server, we feel like he's getting a bit too big for his boots, uh, needed to be taken down a peg. So he left some Elder Guardians under his base. Um, and so <laughs> uh, myself, myself and Fwip teamed up to transport three Elder Guardians out of an ocean monument, which turned out to be easier than I expected because we ended up uh, taking them via nether portals to the nether roof uh, and and setting everything up that way. And that makes it a lot easier to transport them long distance than it would be to make an entire minecart rail traveling potentially 1500 blocks to get back to, to this location. Instead, it was maybe, uh, you know, 100 blocks or so over the roof of the nether. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we lost one of them in the process because I think it ended up going back through the nether portal and then suffocating in the obsidian. Uh, so we ended up with one that was just a prismarine shard and a single raw cod at the end of it but uh yeah we got two out of three in there and we left one inside a prison cell that he'd built uh in the kind of dungeon area underneath his house and so there was an elder guardian just in jail down there which made for a uh, a pretty fun image but we've uh yeah we've been having some fun on that server it's it's a lot of fun just coming up with these occasional prank ideas that ultimately we we all follow the same philosophy of if you're going to prank somebody don't do anything that it isn't going to be easy for you to clean up again <laughs> you know if, mm-hmm. if it takes them too long to clean it up then obviously you need to to step in and and help but you know us all being friends it's still nice to uh to poke fun and and mess with people like that occasionally I, that's the thing like when it's all in good fun it's all in good jests uh i mean i did some pranks in university and we were always careful you know we, we would make sure we were reading the university bylaws and all the different mm-hmm, stuff yeah, like yeah. we're not going to break any rules we just want to kind of take someone down a peg that is a little bit too too big for their britches or or whatever uh and i mean it, it there was also a certain point where you it, it escalates to the point where you say and we're done <laughs> we just we don't want this to go any farther or 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 get anybody in trouble you know um with elder guardians do they drown when they're outside of water they don't no that's that's the one thing we took advantage of elder guardians neither despawn nor drown um so we didn't have to name tag them we didn't have to leave them in water uh they were they were totally fine and so one of them just got left at the bottom of uh of like a, a well that mythical sausage has built at his base but just like you know with layers of glass that that kind of glass fog effect because it's it's meant to be like a deeper and darker well and so mm. we, we left a fish at the bottom of it just kind of flapping around um <laughs> and so that was that was super fun and there's there's a couple of clips in his episodes now where he just casually has mining fatigue but doesn't necessarily draw as much attention to it so that was fun um yeah some some folks in our live chat who've watched the video are pointing out that the the other remarkable thing about that was that we had to get a lot of milk to dispel the mining fatigue effect so we could you know play subsidian without worrying about having to uh having to break it again using mining fatigue um and so i went to get a source of milk from a nearby biome couldn't find myself a cow brought back a goat instead (laughs) and it's probably the first time i've actually used goats for something utilitarian at this point uh we haven't got any screaming goats farming stuff for us or anything but uh having the goats available as a source of milk when i couldn't find a cow was actually kind of useful and so the incidental 
uh, uses of goats right now are, are still proving useful to me, despite them not really having much else to do the rest of the time. For me on the Citadel, uh, I've, I've jumped the river. Uh, no jumping the shark, but I've, I've jumped the river. Uh, I started building on the north side of the river in a small area between uh, the wall and the river. And I was trying to think about what could possibly go there. And it's taken me several weeks to think because I've been staring at this empty grass patch of like ugliness for a while. And then I realized that that close to the wall and that close to the front of the of the town uh, barracks would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've started adding in some small barracks, some lodging for soldiers. There's quick access to the wall. There's three points of access along along the wall. Uh, or there will be when I build stairs uh, and and add like inside staircases to the towers and stuff. And uh, it's it was challenging uh, specifically for the roofs at that such a small scale to try to have something that looks interesting uh, because I've got these uh, the inside they're all four by three and then outside that means that they are then six by five no seven by five. Uh, and so the roofs uh, have to, like, I've got peaks on the roof. I didn't want to do just a standard um, gable. Like, I wanted kind of like a higher gable, like I have been doing throughout the the town. And mm -hmm. uh, started to get really sick of dark oak. Like, I just, I'm really <laughs> struggling to find a way to keep these roofs interesting uh, and, and have them not be just the same material over and over and over again. And it's tough at a small scale, because even when you start switching things, like, sometimes you can get away... If a building is at least seven blocks long, then you can you can get away with outlining a roof in dark oak and then using spruce on the inside. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when you get into these smaller houses, you kind of have to stick with just one. Now, I can go back in later and exchange the odd uh, dark oak plank for a stripped dark oak log or something like that to add a little bit of variety. But uh, there's not a lot that you can do. And one of the things that I've been in the habit of doing that I need to try and break uh, and I did that with the main, I'm not sure what you want to call it, a mess hall. Uh, I just needed a big building that would fill the space. And so I used deep slate bricks on the end of the building, so in the gables. But then I used smooth basalt blocks. There's no stairs. There's no slabs. Uh, just on the roof uh, and did like a up by two over by one sort of design to the roof. Uh, it's also a, an even building. So I find those quite challenging where the peak of the roof is not a single block, but it's it's too wide. And uh, I'm not sold on the smooth basalt as of yet. Uh, it's got a very repetitive pattern when you put that much of it together. So I'm going to be looking to see if I can find other blocks that I can put in there that might vary up the texture a bit. I've tried basalt, but of course, regular basalt has got two different textures, one on the bottom, one on the top. So I'd be limited as to where on the roof I can put smooth or a regular basalt to to show off like uh, some changing um, textures. Now, the good news there is that basalt, smooth basalt and polished basalt all kind of share the same color hue like they have yeah. a little bit of purple to them purple mm -hmm. gray so i might be able to move those in interchangeably um so i'm not i'm not entirely sure how it's going to work out in the end uh obviously it's very much a work in progress uh sharing some pictures here with our, our live audience and um i thought it was was interesting to share these because uh, we were talking a lot on stream over the weekend and what came up was like how long it takes to do this kind of stuff like this is framed in i've got a couple of roofs that i struggled with for the better part of 90 minutes and I really only logged about five, maybe six hours on this particular area over the weekend. And I don't have any one thing completed. 
right? Um, if it looks semi-finished from the outside, I can assure you it is grass on the floor of the inside. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Like it just, I've just not gone and done a lot inside. And it just kind of r reminded me of just like taking your time and um, the kind of happy accidents that happen when you leave something around like if you can't decide what to build on a cliffside or in an area leaving it until the idea hits you and then utilizing the landscape and trying to think okay rather than just changing this entirely what could I do to make this work and something I don't know if you do but I tend to pull buildings down to meet the landscape so when I was building one of these houses it was obviously kind of like sticking out over the edge of what was a cliff and I decided like, rather than just adding more grass or, or doing something really basic, I decided to pull the building down and that led to it connecting to a path that would not have been there. Otherwise it meant that the mess hall now has a basement, mm -hmm. uh, which I wasn't planning on. And it just kind of leads to the idea that I've got so many connected pathways. Like I can walk around, I can walk through. There are some places where I can go up and downstairs inside of a building and come out on a completely different level of the town just because I've added a basement to the building. And I just find it adds a, a level of immersion that it's hard to plan for. And so instead of planning out all these pathways, all I'm doing is just kind of like opening up my brain to like, if there's an opportunity for a staircase or a pathway or a separate way to get somewhere, I'm going to try and take it. It might not work out, but because of the scale I'm working on, I'm only mining out a dozen blocks. If it doesn't work out, whatever, I fill it back in and they say, well, that doesn't line up the way that I wanted it to. Or if I go down in the basement into this place, I end up, oh, underwater. Can't do that. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we, we can't go out that way. Um, but sometimes it leads to some really... I don't want to say happy accidents, but certainly happy opportunities to to link builds together and create kind of like an option to the point where I uh, I've got other server members that have visited uh, West Hill and gotten lost. <laughs> so yeah. I need I need to have some better signs to the point where I'm actually thinking about adding uh, a fabric mod if I can find one that has and it's probably called better signs in Minecraft, knowing how people name their mods. But like I I feel like there's a limitation to how you can effectively use signs in minecraft i think the um the dye system now and being able to change the color of the text is great the glow ink sacks help a lot as well not something i'm going to use in a, in a medieval town i don't think but it's it's cool the issue that i'm having is the ability to place signs and your limit therein um so i'm i'm looking to see if i can find a way to like place a sign where it actually does stick out on the side of a building as it normally would, you know, and when you think about signposts in a medieval video game, everybody kind of knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't work very well in Minecraft because you put down a fence post and a sign and it floats about two and a half feet <laughs> off, the, yeah. off the fence. So I'm just thinking about ways that I might be able to come up with um, player direction and, and have things be a little bit clearer. Uh, depending on how I'm I'm going about things without making something that's ginormous, you know, like that's way bigger than a sign has any business being. So yeah, without um, having to have like neon lights basically pointing arrows to saying go this way and and like mm -hmm. th there aren't really shaped signs in the same way that you'd find them attached to uh, a, a signpost with specific directions indicated by the shape of the sign itself, which is typically yeah. how it's done in in the real world because we can have things that aren't square, unlike unlike Minecraft. Um, going back to the, the the idea of having basements, I think that's a, a really neat immersive detail for the type of city that you're building as well, because you're building a medieval kind of town, and 
if you think about it, they don't really have the technology available to them to do any kind of advanced earthworks and flattening terrain. We're all used to doing that in Minecraft because all you need is a shovel with enough durability. But, um, you know, typically people of this sort of era that you're trying to evoke with this build wouldn't necessarily have the capacity to dig out an entire area just to flatten it to make an ordinary house so what they would do was have cellars and you know they might dig into the area so they could lay a bit of a foundation but they're not flattening an entire hill so that their house is perfectly flat on the ground and so you know even in in modern uh houses mo modern developments and and cities if it's on a big enough hill people just don't bother to mess with the hill because you know, we can make a foundation that has a basement level to it. But I think in, in a medieval environment, especially those fit in really well, because that's what the people would have had to do with the technology of the time. You know, they would build a, a basement level to their house rather than try and flatten all of the area around it. So the house was standing on its own four feet. And that's what I was thinking of with the, the mess hall idea. It's a pretty unfinished build at the moment. There's like a loose log frame for a gate um, but it gets really close to the river and I thought, well, that would be cool if the mess hall was kind of half built into the hill. The basement cellar would be cool, good place to store barrels of food to feed soldiers, like that kind of thing. Access to the river where the food might be brought in by yeah. boat from the farms nearby. Like there's mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff that I'm just kind of like, again, there's not a lot of like story and lore. It's more about functionality and age when I'm thinking about how I'm building the, the town but it's it's really starting to come together and when i logged in uh this week uh it was raining on the server and i took a, a really spooky screenshot and it just with september and fall and october coming and like it, it felt very appropriate <laughs> that it was mm -hmm. just foggy and rainy uh in the town of west hill it reminded me actually of some of my first days in world of warcraft you know going into westfall and other you know areas and in, in, uh, on that kind of like MMO where things would be rainy and gloomy all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did try to spend a little bit of time uh, researching and trying to get into modded Minecraft. I had the intention to play some modded this week, but uh, as per usual, I just lose all of the time allocated to play researching and trying to decide what mods to use. Um, it's something that I find I, I hit as a hurdle in modded Minecraft a lot. And um, I don't know whether you've, encountered this or whether you have any tips for overcoming it but like i just i'm trying to come up with i want some some extra biomes like i want some cool looking terrain i want it to feel very different to minecraft and i'm also looking for some technical stuff to go through so i'm starting with all of fabric 3 which is not for 117.1 it's for 116.5 because everything for 117.1 the biome generation is not great it's really lackluster the really cool stuff is still happening in 116.5 for fabric anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm looking at is seeing, okay, well, here's what's in all of fabric three, what's missing. And I'm, I've been watching some YouTube videos that kind of like re recap some, Oh, here's some cool mods. And I'm trying not to go with like any kind of make easy mod, but I like the idea of um, different things, different abilities, different, not blocks, but like certainly block pallets, you know, vertical slabs, just anything to kind of make it feel very truly modded. And for me to just not have a standard Minecraft experience. But my gosh, do you end up with a huge list of mods when you're dealing with these larger packs and yeah. vice versa. If you want to create your own pack, it's just as much time creating that pack as you would be spending playing the game. So I'm really kind of at this um, paralysis point where you're just like, I just I kind of want to start it. But like, I don't know whether I'm going to start it and immediately five hours later regret 
you know, yeah. not using this biome generator, <laughs> not using this thing that I don't know about, like, and just, and realizing that this is just not, it's going to be this endless reset, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that the key to modern Minecraft, if you don't really know where to start, is to find somebody who is willing to do the research for you and kind of curate your experience of what mod packs are out there. So honestly, just finding a YouTube channel like, say, Chosen Architect or Direwolf20 or Mischief of Mice, the people who basically go through a new mod pack every time it's out, they can like they follow trends to a certain extent in like what's new and what's out there and what the latest ftb pack is and so forth but they're also really good at giving opinions and and kind of doing showcases of an overview of the the mod pack as well as the little details if you get stuck on a certain aspect of it so that's the advice i would give as somebody who doesn't play modded minecraft a great deal myself it's worth just finding somebody else out there who can help curate the experience for you I do follow Chosen Architect. And one quick question before we move into the news. Mm -hmm. With you and FTB, I know that's Feed the Beast. Is yeah. that a gameplay style or is that a mod? Like just it's just a mod pack. It's more of like a group, I think, at this point, who makes a series of mod packs every so often. Feed the Beast ah, is, okay. is is like the closest to official modded as it gets as an entity, to my knowledge, at least. And, okay. you know, it, it, it's more like, you know, uh, a, a group like um you know the the folks who develop forge or whatever like they 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 will then sort of craft a, a mod pack for you know whether it's forge or i don't know if ftb goes into fabric mods all that much but they will have you know ftb reloaded ftb infinity just like iterations on different mod packs as mods themselves evolve and again kind of curating a whole pack for a specific theme or a specific kind of level of technology that they want available so yeah it's it's much more of like a, a platform it feels like at this point more so than it is a specific uh a specific pack right okay let's move into the news though because we have a lot to cover today and it's also going to take up the majority of our main discussion this week uh, we're going to start with minecraft java edition snapshot 21 w37a which was released this week there's a link to the minecraft.net article with the changelog in our show notes as per usual but we'll give you the bullet points here today we are bringing the overworld revamp to regular snapshots it says if you've been playing or checking out the experimental snapshots that we've been releasing then this is going to feel kind of similar since we're extending world and there are quite a few under the hood changes we've been keeping an eye on how the game is running and that there are still improvements to be made it should also be noted that there is currently no upgrade path for existing worlds in this snapshot so don't try loading up your 117 worlds in the snapshot yet you're not going to be able to do that right away so new features in 21w37a this should be familiar to anybody who has listened to our last handful of shows at this point there have been added noise caves and aquifers, dripstone caves, underground biomes, grove biomes, lofty peaks, lush caves in the underground, meadow biomes, snow-capped peaks, snowy slopes, and stony peaks, all of those being mountain biomes, of course. There is new ore distribution and large ore veins. Overworld build and generation limits have been expanded. In terms of blocks, enchantment tables now emit a low amount of light as a parity change from Minecraft Bedrock Edition, where they already did that. Using shears on the tip of a cave vine, twisting vine, weeping vine, or kelp will now cause it to stop growing. In the dripstone caves, you have plenty of pointed dripstone and dripstone blocks on the floors and ceilings, and you'll find small pools of water. In some places, you'll find larger stalagmites, stalactites, and columns built from dripstone blocks, and dripstone caves will also contain some extra copper ore blocks. 
Groves are snowy terrain with big spruce trees and powder snow traps, which tend to generate on high altitude terrain beneath mountain peaks or hilltops. Large ore veins are also integrated into the terrain. These are copper veins that form between Y0 and Y50 and are mixed with granite, and iron veins that form below Y-8 all the way down to Y-60 and are mixed with tuff. The lofty peaks biome is described as dramatic jagged mountain peaks with snow, stone, and goats. Lush cave biomes now have moss-covered cave floors and ceilings. They contain clay pools, drip leaf, glow berries, and spore blossoms generating naturally, as well as azalea bushes and flowering azalea bushes. Lush caves you can find marked on the surface with azalea trees. Going into the mountain biomes, the large grassy biome filled with flowers that tends to generate high up on plateaus is the meadow biome. They are home to donkeys, rabbits, and sheep. The snow-capped peaks biome is smooth mountain peaks with ice and snow where you can find plenty of goats roaming the hills. And the snowy slopes biome also has its fair share of rabbits and goats along with snowy terrain that can hide powder snow traps. The stony peaks biome uh, is a stony mountain peak that can be jagged or smooth and may contain strips of calcite along with the now mandatory goats. Another significant change that's been brought over from the experimental snapshots is mob spawning. Monsters will now only spawn in places where the light from blocks is zero. They need total darkness in order to spawn and skylight will still prevent spawning as it did before. They've also fixed an issue where players in multiplayer can face either more or fewer enemies than intended, particularly when other players are flying, so the mob cap is distributed much more evenly between players on a multiplayer server. The snapshot also has new ore distribution. Uh, we've changed the ore distribution and generation to match the new world height and add more strategy to mining. There is no longer a single Y level that is best for all ores. You need to make trade-offs. The full details of all of the ore distribution is in the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. Generally, ore, uh, iron ore is going to generate both higher and lower in the world. Uh, copper ore generates in larger amounts in dripstone cave biomes. Lapis cannot generate exposed to air. It will either be buried or underwater. Coal has reduced air exposure as well. You will find more coal buried or underwater. Gold generates now below Y32 with a strong bias towards Y-16. Extra gold can still be found in the Badlands biomes. Redstone ore generates below Y-16, and redstone ore generation gradually increases as you go below Y-32 and further down. Diamonds generate below Y-16, and the lower you go, the more diamonds you will find. Diamonds have reduced air exposure as well, so you will find more diamonds buried or underwater than exposed to air. Noise caves and aquifers are now in the game. Noise caves are a new way to generate caves providing more natural variety. This can cause some huge caves. The old cave carvers and canyons still generate, combining with noise caves to form interesting cave systems. An aquifer is an area of local water level independent of sea level. Aquifers are used during world generation to generate bodies of water inside noise caves. These sometimes result in large underground lakes. In options, added an accessibility option to stop the sky from flashing during thunderstorms, added an option to specify the audio device used by the game, added toggle sprint and toggle sneak to the control settings, and moved keybinds out to their own settings screen accessible from controls. Changes in 21W37A, illagers, that is vindicators, pillagers, and evokers, no longer attack baby villagers, Axolotls now only spawn in lush caves, and axolotls have their own separate mob cap. 
Cloud level has been raised from 128 to 192. Technical changes in 21W37A. The full list of technical changes is part of the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. Worthy of note, our data pack format has been increased to eight. New video setting priority updates and view distance causes chunks to load cylindrically around the player instead of in a square. Fixed bugs in 21W37A. All bug fixes are listed in the Minecraft.net article linked in the show notes. We won't list them here. There are just so many, and most of them are minor fixes, and others are simply listed in the snapshot changes. Uh, with that said, uh, Nathan Adams, aka Dinnerbone, has returned to working on Minecraft, and some of those bugs that are getting fixed are him. Uh, he is still working for the game in a more part-time capacity after taking a sabbatical to care for his mental health, but he mentioned on Twitter that he's responsible for some of the smaller quality-of-life changes we're seeing come through in this snapshot. Things like being able to select the audio playback device in your sound settings, uh, chat messages written while sleeping being deleted after you woke up, so now you can continue continue typing if you had to type something to somebody whilst you were in a bed and uh, before the the dawn rose uh, and also dinnerbone animals uh, that is animals that have been flipped upside down using a dinnerbone name tag not looking at food correctly <laughs> you can see why he has a personal interest in those in particular um, there is also a bedrock edition beta this week uh, 1.17.40.20 which adds a bunch more changes that have come to the experimental snapshots in Java to Bedrock Edition betas, including the Stony Peaks biome, uh, vegetation in mountain meadows having been corrected, dripstone clusters have now been relocated to only be found in the dripstone biomes, likewise dripstone features, uh, things like um, what I presume are the stalactites and stalagmites that generate on world generation. Mountain biomes now have correct feature places to match the Java edition side snapshot. We'll talk more about this in a second. Uh, infested stone can be found under the new mountains. The ore distribution has been tweaked to match the Java edition side snapshot as well. Clouds are now at Y192 as they are in Java. Tweaked biome placement, river size, and terrain shapes for a better overworld experience. Mob spawning has been tweaked in mountain and cave biomes to match Java edition. Trees in swamps can now generate slightly deeper when in water. Deep slate now finally generates at lower depths, uh, and dripstone features now generate at deep slate depths. The placement logic of small dripstone features has been refactored. The frequency is similar, but exact positions will differ. Maps now correctly show the colors of blocks below at the Y level of zero, and there are a few other technical changes and bug fixes listed in the changelog, which we won't show here, but vines can now generate uh, in lush caves instead of generating above the surface, vines can now grow down below Y zero, and villages now generate in the style of the biome they are located in, with some pretty significant bug fixes. Last of all, for our news segment here, there is a new Dev Diaries video on the Minecraft YouTube channel titled Community Collaborations. This is a YouTube video from Henrik, Agnes, and Senior Community Manager Cameron Thomas, acknowledging the roles players have in providing feedback to the developers, especially with a focus on the Caves and Cliffs update. It's about a seven minute long video, but really worth it if you want to see how the team takes on feedback and takes notes about what the player's experience is, and then, you know, the, the ways they gather that information and then recycle it into changes they can make as snapshots progress. Really good video, definitely worth your time if you want to watch that over on YouTube. I really enjoyed the Dev Diaries video uh, yeah, this time around. Me I mean, too. I normally do, but but they're, um, I, and I like the fact that you get to sit down with, it's usually 
Agnes and maybe another prominent person in the, in the team, like Henrik this time around. But then you also get to see someone new. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen Cameron Thomas yes. uh, talk about what, what, what he does uh, at Mojang. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, specifically, he mentioned feedback coming in on different platforms. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, a lot of times, given the sheer population of the player base in Minecraft, you kind of think that you're kind of screaming into the ether when you've got something to say about the game. Mm-hmm. But when you start to see patterns, when you start to see, oh, here is a bit of feedback that we also see on Twitter, on Reddit, on Discord, you know, in in ver- Twitch, various communities. Like if you start, if you have an opinion and you're sharing it somewhere, if it's shared by enough people, ultimately, I think Mojang does see it. Yeah. And and I feel like that is a really cool thing to note that the the through lines of feedback tend to rise to the surface. It's like, okay, we've got too many, we'll say, I'm, I'm pulling this out of my, out of my hat. I'm not, this is not something I've heard, but let's say too many underground aquifers, like every cave is underwater. Uh, and if you start seeing that on Twitch and Reddit and Twitter, and you start to go, okay, what, like, what's the source of this? Why, why is this a problem? What's happening behind the code in the game to cause so many people to run into giant underground caves that they can't get through because they're underwater. Um, and so I thought that that aspect of the video was really cool. Uh, I also enjoyed, um, I think it was, it was either Agnes or Henrik that said that the ability to pivot with snapshots and f- feedback and be able to say like prior to release, we're getting this feedback that this isn't working right, or this is too overpowered. And we can use that and very quickly from a game development standpoint, pivot and say, okay, let's adjust, let's redirect, let's let's make a, a turn here and hopefully solve that problem before it's fully released in the game. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's one of the team's major strengths, I think, is the, how quickly they can respond to some stuff like that, especially with the Java edition when, you know, there's the potential to push a new release every couple of days if they really need to, if something is, you know, terribly wrong with it or in the case of this feedback obviously it takes a little bit longer um on the topic of getting feedback from different sources as well i was perhaps really interested to hear that henrik uh would join public servers um Mm -hmm. occasionally to get some feedback on some of the newer stuff public servers who are running the newer snapshots or just you know people that he could get a larger amount of feedback from who were you know just regular players as opposed to listening exclusively to the more vocal community who are you know using platforms like youtube or reddit to get their opinions about the game seen by the broadest number of people and while i'm sure threads like that and videos are a great way to find a community consensus and to find you know a large amount of people saying the same thing they also have the option the the, the opportunity to steer people who are maybe a little bit more you know, easily led in terms of a certain argument. And so going straight to the source of like joining a server where people are playing and just talking directly to individuals who might not necessarily have that platform accessible to them, I think is a really great approach. Obviously, you're not going to be able to touch the entire player base that way because it's so big, but you definitely get to see what people are doing as they're doing it and allowed to, you know, chat to them a little bit more is a, uh, a really great thing. 
Something that I really enjoy about our chunk mail section is that most of the people that write in are not content creators. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's mostly people playing, often playing with their kids and they have questions or they've just got a gameplay experience or like, I'm a busy father of three and soccer practice is just back on yeah. this fall. Like uh-huh. I've got three hours a week to play in Minecraft. So this is my feedback on, on this new feature in the game that I can't seem to get to because I just don't have time. And I, and I like that kind of uh, uh, input because... Uh, and I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but the majority of my experience with Minecraft is one as a content creator myself. And two, I watch other content creators. Yeah. I don't necessarily have a lot of friends that are playing Minecraft that are not content creators at the same time. Yeah. Like uh, the four most active players on the Citadel are all streamers. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I don't necessarily have a just player. Um, I don't, I also don't have any kids. So like, I don't have a lot of conversation with kids about Minecraft and uh, some of the very cute pieces of feedback that they show off in the video are like handwritten letters from, from yeah. kids. Or yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. should add sharks to the game. Sharks are awesome. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I love the simplicity of some of, of, of the messaging. And to go with that spirit, uh, I will continue to say how much I adore Agnes's excitement and enthusiasm when she speaks about Minecraft in these videos. Yeah. Um, I feel like no matter what they talk about, there's something about the presentation style usually helmed uh, by Agnes that just kind of makes me feel like Minecraft, a game that I am heavily invested in is in good hands. It's, it's like this, don't worry. We've thought about that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, it's great that somebody who is, you know, such an ambassador for the game, both, you know, in terms of being the, the project lead, but also, you know, in terms of, you know, her relationship with the community at this point can be so enthusiastic. It's, you know, it's it's yeah. always, always wonderful to see. Um, in terms of the snapshot itself, obviously, we've heard a lot of this before in previous weeks, but we're going to spend our main discussion this week kind of recapping some of the stuff that is coming in this next update and what we're seeing worked out in the snapshots so far. So a lot of it will have sounded familiar when we read out that changelog, but I think there's some really in- interesting stuff there. A couple of new things... Um, And also the Bedrock beta is something I want to touch on before we move on to the emails and the main discussion because uh, it wasn't really mentioned in the changelog. There are a couple of changelog points that hinted at, you know, correct feature placement to match the Java edition snapshot and ore distribution matching and things like that. But if you load up a Bedrock world seed and a Java world seed using the same number, as long as it isn't a negative number, which seems to be a, a, a an issue with the way Bedrock Worlds generate right now, or pe- potentially the way Java Worlds generate, I'm not sure on which side the fault lies. But if you're using a positive seed number, you can get the same terrain on Bedrock and Java now, which is a big deal. That hasn't been, technically speaking, possible before. And from what I understand, it was a relatively simple aspect of bedrock's terrain generation algorithm that just needed to be brought in line with the the java version it's it's a bug that goes back to when bedrock edition was really formed out of all of the previous console and mobile editions and stuff and brought under one roof and so now bedrock and java players can load up the same world seed and experience the same world now there may be there may be some uh elements of that which are still different like structures generating in different places i don't expect you'll find mob spawner dungeons and desert temples and trees all in the same place um it it sort of paints the world with foliage differently between the two versions and i don't know if that's something they plan on bringing into parity or not but bedrock edition players who you know load up a, a youtube video from their favorite creator who might happen to play java and 
put in a world seed are now going to find themselves faced with the same world which i think is a really exciting prospect because it brings the two versions much closer in line um the other important things in the bedrock changelog i think are the fact that deep slate is finally generating below y0 the word finally was me uh, adding in i was editorializing slightly um but i was very excited about that because anytime i've explored the snapshot in uh, or the betas in in bedrock since they've added that lower areas of the world the thing that really leaps out to me compared to the java snapshots was that you don't have deep slate generating the entirety of the underground you still get patches of it the way that they currently generate in 1.17 but then below y0 is still stone caves so deep slate really makes a big difference to the ambience the vibe down there and i think that's going to be a a worthwhile thing for the bedrock community to explore uh, i think that's probably what we wanted to cover from just our our main kind of things to pick out of the the changelog there so let's let's move on to email and then we can discuss the snapshot in full in our main discussion if you'd like to email the show you can send a message to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com please use that email address uh, we do have uh help with the email every email is read not every email can be read on the show uh if your email doesn't get read please don't send it again just uh be patient and hopefully if your point is is cool and we think it fits in with this the uh, discussion we'll read it on the show uh first email comes from m axi uh rooting for archaeology hey pix and joel what do you guys think about shortening experimental snapshot to x snap it's fun it's cool and it's snappy i see what you did there i see what you did i have been thinking about gilded blackstone a lot it's such a good looking block yet difficult to obtain because it's not craftable and it's only discoverable in a bastion it has a magical aura about it similar to crying obsidian and while it is a specialized block in that it can't be used for a lot of things when it is used it looks incredible and that is the beauty of gilded blackstone and crying obsidian they're difficult to obtain in huge amounts you have to be selective where you use it which creates a super cool feel when you spot them in your builds i would love more blocks like these in the game they have more of a, of a collectible feel about them not an en masse collectible feel in an easy to obtain way, but something that I think archaeology could provide us with not only more groovy blocks, but also items and artifacts that make collecting a viable part of gameplay. Think about collecting in Sturdy Valley or Terraria. It would provide a different direction for players to choose or partake in while incorporating Minecraft's two main gameplay components, adventuring and building. I'm sure redstone components could also be included in archaeology. Anyway, I think it can be difficult for some players to see archaeology in Minecraft being particularly fun or useful, but there is so much potential. Thanks for making such a great podcast. M. Axi gilded himself into Blackstone. That's a, that's a permanent way to end. Right I, I'm, I'm imagining that being like a Han Solo frozen in carbonite kind of thing. Like if next time you look at a gilded Blackstone, you may be looking at the face of M. Axi himself. Um so yeah, this is an interesting email. First of all, um, I don't know if X Snap is quite as snappy as it sounds. It, it sort of sounds like um, like a like an Instagram follow up or something like that. It, it seems like a <laughs> the next uh, social network mobile photo sharing app than than it necessarily does like a, something that rolls off the tongue. But keep keep workshopping that. We'll uh, we'll see. So gilded blackstone here is being used as an example of a type of block that could potentially be found through means like archaeology. Um, and I'm going to take Maxi's side here. I think blocks like Gilded Blackstone are kind of perfect for having 
in limited quantities because they're good at the detail side of things but they are quite busy detail wise and i don't imagine anyone wanting to build a giant wall out of the stuff in the same way that you don't always want to build a giant wall out of let's say you know purple glazed terracotta right a lot of that stuff seems like a, a highlight block an accent block and something that adds a little bit of sub block detail in terms of the texture next to some blocks that might look a little bit more plain like natural stone for example um i don't imagine anyone wanting to build a giant wall out of gilded blackstone so the game makes it relatively scarce on the flip side people do wild and imaginative stuff like that in minecraft all the time um but i think it's it's fairly important for the game to have a you know a risk reward or a time in versus reward out potential for blocks like this how much gilded blackstone have you used joel in in the stuff that you've built absolutely none yeah I, i'm pretty much the same i think the only thing i've ever used it for was reproducing a piglin bastion <laughs> and so naturally there was going to be gilded blackstone in it because i was trying to reproduce it as faithfully as i could within reason and make sure that gilded blackstone was part of its construction but yeah i don't really use it a great deal as a as a block so i'm kind of okay with there being less of it i don't even know if i possess any I'm sure I must, because I think I stripped out for that Blackstone Hall that I tried to build to try to get to know Blackstone a bit when it first came out that I've never returned to finish. Um, I think we found a bastion that I started to rip apart. And I'm sure at some point I would have had some gilded Blackstone in my inventory, but like I don't remember it. Um, and I don't, I haven't used any Crying Obsidian, but I've definitely found some and I've definitely collected some. Although because I play the snapshots when they come out sometimes, like I, I'm trying to remember, like, did I, am I remembering collecting that in a snapshot? Because, like, I also, because of the Citadel being such an old world, you don't run into abandoned nether portals hardly at all. Yeah. Because we play in the same areas that we've been building in for years. So unless we're really stretching out adventuring on the overworld, you don't run into that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that I find is kind of a, a common um, rebuttal to this and i can see your point um Maxi. like i get it um but collectively i think the reply of a lot of players will we want more of this mm -hmm. <laughs> it's such a cool new block why can't i find more of this um right now i think a good balance and a good example is um tough uh i've come to quite like tough in the foundations of what i'm building right now in the medieval town and i can get more i know where to get more I'm not going to stumble upon it like stone. Like I'm going to have to go looking for it. And when I can find some, I can generally find a big enough pocket that's going to do me for a couple hours because I'm not building giant sheet walls of tough. I'm using it speckled into builds. I can still go through a stack pretty fast. Don't get me wrong, but I can go and find a, a blob of tough right now in the world. That's going to get me two, three stacks, you know, easy. Um, but you just, you have to go look for it. I don't mind that. I consider that part of the the, the nice gameplay loop. Um, a good example of, of Mojang maybe um, bending a little bit on this is the new calcite that can be found in, oh, which one of the lofty peak biomes? It's one of the mountain biomes. One of the stony peaks, I think, yeah. Stony peaks, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you can find calcite that's not in a geode. So if you don't want to strip a geode or if you can't find a geode, then you might be able to stumble upon, upon some calcite directly in the surface, which will aid you in your calcite build. Uh, and calcite, I think, is an example of something that is going to be used more and players are going to want more of, uh, especially to the point that you mentioned that if it ever becomes stairs and slabs, man, there's going to be some higher demand for that block. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, 
And I'm not saying that um, it that crafting it has to be easy, right? I'm not saying that crafting Crying Obsidian or Gilded Blackstone is just a matter of taking gold and blackstone, right? Because blackstone you can get pretty much everywhere in the nether. It's pretty easy to come by. Uh, and then gold, if you've got a gold farm, well, then you've got a Gilded Gold farm that's, not, I won't say easy, but like once you've got it set up, you're good. Um, I'm wondering if there might be an opportunity for some of these more complicated blocks or more rare blocks to be craftable, but craftable in a way that maybe we don't know yet in mine in Minecraft. Like maybe a furnace, uh, like a blast furnace is something that can take two items and combine them together. Like having some sort of time in versus reward out. Like what if I have to do something special, create a three ingredients or something to finally get, you know, the cool thing that I want. Um, something that I notice a lot in Minecraft is that usually crafting something is the combination of one or two items, unless it's something very specific where it has to get complicated and you get three. But um, something that I see a lot of in another game I play, Satisfactory, is that there's this escalation of part A and part B make part C, but then you need part D and E and F to make part G. And it just gets more complicated as time goes on mm -hmm. and so it, as you want the end product you realize as you backtrack oh wow i have a lot of infrastructure that i have to fill out so i'm just wondering if some of these rare blocks could be crafted but would require some of the other like harder to find things to, to farm or gather like you know gas tears uh, end crystals. Um, I'm just thinking about other things that are not necessarily going to fall in your lap that you might be able to use to make some of these these blocks. But ultimately, I do find the collectible idea of this kind of stuff a little bit tedious, and it's probably why archaeology doesn't sing to me. But you've played more uh, Stardew Valley and Terraria than than I have for sure. So, like, where where does you find like the comparison for collectibles in those games to Minecraft? I mean, with Terraria is probably the closest example because Stardew Valley obviously has a, a range of objectives that you fulfill over the course of the game and the reason you're collecting artifacts other than occasionally selling them, especially if you get duplicates, is to submit them to the Stardew Valley Museum, which gets you other rewards. And so I feel like for it to have a mirror in Minecraft, it'd have to be that you dig one of these things up, you take it to a villager and a villager buys it off you for emeralds or you sell them to the wandering trader when he drops by or something like that, right? So um, yeah, I don't think Stardew Valley is the, the greatest example. And in fact, honestly, I think most people find looking for specific artifacts in Stardew Valley is really frustrating because eventually you're finding everything except the one artifact that you really want uh, to the point where people have resorted to sometimes cheating to um, you know get the last item they needed to complete the Stardew Valley Museum. I personally have never done that in the game. I've never finished the museum in any of my playthroughs, some of which have been quite extensive. So Terraria is probably the closest other example and that's because it's more of a sandboxy game. There aren't really you know, there aren't really necessarily artifacts in the same way in Terraria, but there are so many items in the game that just collecting one of everything becomes a task that can take you a lot of time in a playthrough. Um, I think in terms of the way archaeology can apply to this as a system, I think it's interesting to give the potential for it to have more collectible blocks and, and, and for there to be specific blocks that you can get reasonably through archaeology i think the the difficulty there is two things first of all it becomes incredibly difficult if there is a broader range of stuff to guarantee that you'll be able to get the same block 
multiple times. And if let's say there's a range of 16 potential blocks that you can get from archaeology. If you want a ton of one of those blocks to build with, you've only got a 1 in 16 chance of getting that block every time. You have to put in way more effort to get out maybe two or three blocks of the stuff that you actually want to build with. Uh, so that becomes a bit of a difficulty. If maybe archaeology allows you to dig up different materials that you can then craft into those blocks so that you can make more of it, I think that becomes more viable. But the other thing is that Minecraft has very few blocks. Items may be slightly different here, but very few blocks which you can only get one way. And that has been fairly fundamental to the game as a whole so far because it caters to different gameplay styles. If you want to go the villager trading route, you can get different colours of terracotta and glazed terracotta just as easily as you can by going to a mesa, doing all of the mining yourself and finding all of the dyes you need to make them different colours. There are two different ways of getting those blocks. Likewise, you know, most of the other stuff that you can find out there in the world with the exception of, you know, raw materials like ores and so forth, you can potentially get either through villager trading or in the case of iron, you're not going to get iron ore blocks, but you can get, you know, iron ingots from farming them by iron golems. And there are so many different approaches to gathering sometimes the same material <laughs> that there are very few cases in which Minecraft only allows you to get something one way. And I think the... Um, the Gilded Blackstone is probably the only example I can really think of off the top of my head because you can't get that from piglin bartering the way you can stuff like Crying Obsidian, which was the other example Emaxi gave in this email. Um, so there's, there's potential for archaeology to provide those collectible blocks, but I think to satisfy other players, there would have to be other ways of obtaining them as well. And then that makes those things less special. I think I've, I've called for in previous uh in, in previous episodes some kind of system that allows more cosmetic changes in the game to, to allow cosmetic changes to armor and you know there to be dungeon loot that feels a little bit more unique in that way because the game has so many different ways of acquiring the same thing but then of course the problem becomes one of scarcity and especially on multiplayer communities one person having the only example of one specific thing can be a source of tension between you know, various different players in the group. So, yeah, I don't know for certain whether there's really a way this can be reconciled with the existing approach they've taken to adding features where a lot of the stuff has to go in different directions to satisfy everybody's different gameplay styles. Um, I think archaeology is a great example of a system that could be used to provide decorative blocks to players who don't want to be swarmed by enemies <laughs> the way that you have to be if you're gathering gilded blackstone. But yeah, I think it remains to be seen where the balance lies on that front. I'm wondering if collectible items would be more appealing than collectible blocks. Because blocks, if you want to build with them, you're going to want more than just a couple. Yeah. Whereas items, if you're just going to stick it in a frame on the wall and say, look what I found, then that's cool. You can't do anything else with it. So you're not, the other players that want to do tons of building with tons of cool blocks are not going to be just like, well, why does this block exist if I can't do what I want to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's also difficult to then put an effectively useless item in the game. Like mm -hmm. just to have it be displayed doesn't really feel like Minecraft's vibe like if it's some kind of ancient weapon you should at least be able to swing it every so often you know or, right. or like there's there's very few items other than things like paintings which you know can be crafted relatively easily but only come in a 
a variety of different shapes, sizes, and designs that that really have that just stickered on a wall and it's nice to look at kind of vibe. I feel like players do most of their decorating that way using blocks, uh, and it, mm. it, it all depends on what blocks you make the build out of. So, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting seeing which direction they're going to go with it. The only look at archaeology that we had previously suggested there being clay pots that you could decorate with a series of designs and kind of build up your own story through the the decals that you could stick onto these um you know clay pots and then fire them to preserve the design permanently and while that's an aesthetic thing i can imagine a lot more people just wanting to use the clay pots for builds and you know to to have like trees planted in them or something like that then they're right. uh, they're going to be necessarily valuable for their collective potential that's just looking at it from my style of gameplay of course but um yeah i i expect that archaeology has the potential to add stuff like this in and to inspire people who want to collect one of everything to you know press on through the system it's just about where that diverges into other styles of gameplay and how exclusive that stuff really feels and how desirable it feels in balance. What do you think we move on to talk about the snapshot? Yeah, let's do it. So, of course, we had a <laughs> what Joel has referred to in the notes as a big old snapshot drop. Um, so we wanted to recap some of the changes coming in the Caves and Cliffs update part two. Now that they have moved into the full snapshot cycle and we can feel more definite about the fact that they're going to be included. Previously, all of these features... Uh, most of them, at least, the ones that weren't in the data pack snapshots beforehand and so forth. The, the newer terrain stuff in particular has been treated as experimental and there was no guarantee, although it seemed to be moving in that direction, that it was going to be brought from the experimental snapshots over into the main run of snapshots leading up to 1.18. But now it is because we've had this week's snapshot uh, 21W37A that has introduced all of these features as this is what Minecraft is going to look like moving into 1.18. Everything is still potentially subject to some minor tweaks and changes, but it looks like they are more firmed up about terrain. Uh, so how did you feel about this snapshot? Did you did you spend any time in this snapshot this week? Because when the changelog looked so familiar from the experimental snapshots, I didn't really hop into this snapshot at all and, and really poke around. No, I didn't either. Um, part of it was just because I had other interests. And the other thing was just that I think partly because we do the spawn chunks and we've been so steeped in the experimental snapshot news, um, nothing really felt like something I needed to explore. It's I, I felt like I've experienced some version of what they were talking about in the few times I have jumped into the experimental snapshots when they first came out. And I know that there's been several since. So we got up to seven, I think, before we rolled, in, rolled into a full snapshot. Um, but I've felt that the experimental snapshots since about three or four, with the exception of things like the Elytra changes last week, yeah. have been mostly iterative and refining what we were um, seeing as giant news bombs in like the first, you know, experimental snapshots mm -hmm. one and mm -hmm. two. Um, so going into this one, I was just like, I don't think I really need to spend any time in in it. Uh, one, because it's not clear if a new snapshot world in 37a can be carried forward yes when that's possible i can see myself popping in and saying okay i'm not in a rush i'm not trying to get as far as i can in a week because i'm gonna have to do it all over again um i don't particularly like the first three to five hours of minecraft in a new world um I, after doing it a couple of times i i find that especially with these updates with caves and cliffs part two most of the changes are 
I'll call it mid to mid game, mid to late game. Yeah. Like you're not going to experience a lot of the the changes in the first five, three to five hours, because most of that time you're just going to be, you know, trying to get started. And to the point where I've even considered if I'm going to play in the snapshots, maybe I'll just like swing into creative mode and just give myself armor, tools, house, and just like start like as if I've already played for five or six hours. Yeah. Uh, just to experience the snapshot changes and what it's like to play in that world for a longer period without having to actually sink the time in. Um, so when I was looking at these, uh, I wasn't really, uh, these changes, I wasn't really overly interested in them however it's one of the reasons why i thought a larger news read this week would be good because we're constantly getting new listeners there's a lot of people that have not been privy to the experimental snapshots and all of this is news to them uh because the snapshot showed up in their launcher and they're like oh wow this is very different so um there's definitely some things that um that i'm curious about but for me the actual gameplay experience it's the can i bring a persistent snapshot world forward into the next snapshot and I am curious to do that because given the performance issues that I have with Minecraft, I'd like to provide some feedback, but I I don't want to do that on, and I don't really think that the first two to three hours of gameplay are going to be enough to really challenge the game. Yeah, It's going to need to be played in a while with lots of chunks loaded with maybe some waterways going and some items and redstone and things like that. Infra- like infrastructure that I would need as a player before my world is going to go like, eh, this combined with mountains is not really friendly to your system. And I'd need to, to, to be able to give that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of why I've held off on it. Um, that said, there are some refinements and stuff. Now that the dust has settled on the ore distribution and other things like that, there's definitely some, some things that have come to my attention now reading through the full list of all the changes. Um, it's a lot and it's a little, I don't want to say overwhelming, but it's slightly confusing, I think. And might be, I think there might be a lot of confused players going forward. What we expected to get from this update was cave biomes and mountains. And what we have got is an update to surface terrain across the entire world. And so that's going to be a bit of a shock to the system for people loading up this snapshot for the first time, if this is the first one. You know, there are, there are these massive cave entrances now. There are, you know, and on a completely separate note, mob spawning adjustments that allow us to use light more creatively. Uh, there are mountain biomes that haven't even been mentioned before. And there is this whole new approach to ore distribution. And I think in terms of, like, things that are going to confuse players and, and um, the things that are going to be hardest for people to adjust to, I think ore distribution, even though it's been talked about in snapshots long before this one, is really still the thing that people are the most concerned about generally Uh, and this is anecdotal of course based on my own experience but the majority of people i see asking questions about the snapshots are asking you know the most common question is where should i mine for diamonds is always the first thing people think about is like how do i get hold of diamonds (laughs) um and even in updates like 1.17 where things shouldn't really have changed at all and all distribution hadn't really been affected um people were still you know rumors were still flying about you know you're supposed to dig at y5 now because y11 doesn't get you as many diamonds and you know anecdotal stuff starts to surface that is maybe a little exaggerated the the major adjustment people are going to have to make is like the lengths they're going to have to go to get larger quantities of diamonds if they want them for equipment or if they want them just to to stockpile because diamonds are desirable to them on a superficial level or if they want them for trading on a multiplayer server or something like that i think that's that's going to be the thing that most people 
I recommend, actually. This is probably the first time I've really recommended checking out the snapshots, but I think it has the potential to be confusing to people who are used to the way Minecraft has operated for the last 10 years. I, I, f I feel like you sort of want to drip feed your experience of this update more so than any other, so that you can not be completely out of your depth when it arrives. That, or when it does arrive, it's going to be something where I'm going to be encouraging players to go read the notes. Like yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not a version of Minecraft where you can just drop into Caves and Cliffs Part 2 when it does arrive and just play like normal. Yeah, like you're uh, going to have to make some adjustments. Or, or just forget what you think you know is the approach, which is really mm, hard for mm -hmm. people to, to latch onto as a thing. Because I, I've had that in the past, like w with just personal stuff in my own life. Like when I was younger and I, I was learning to play the trumpet, it turned out that like I got my technique wrong on a very fundamental level. And my teacher basically told me, you know, you need to relearn how to play this instrument from scratch. And that's sort of what we're looking at here, is like, we need to relearn how to play Minecraft. The crafting recipes are going to be the same, but the terrain is going to be so fundamentally different. Where we find resources is still going to be the same places, but it's going to be a different distribution of, you know, the range of ores. People aren't used to climbing mountains in order to find more iron, but that might be what you right. have to do. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like it, it's it's going to be a, a really interesting period of adjustment for for everybody. I think everybody is going to have to, like, if if you're not restarting a world, you have more of a foundation to sit on when it comes to exploring this new stuff and being completely out of your depth. But I would almost recommend that even if you have a more regular world that you're planning on updating through this update, I almost recommend starting a new world from scratch just on the side and seeing where that takes you so that you can get used to where everything is after this point. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm dismissing the, my interest in the snapshots because the last time I played and was frustrated by my uh, lack of ability to get past the iron kind of uh, tech block and get down into the deeper parts of the world and actually explore things from a um, survival standpoint uh, was before the real ore distribution had come to a final kind of like landing spot and before the light level changes. Mm -hmm. So I was still encountering mobs everywhere <laughs> when I went underground or even in a dark corner of, uh, of a cave, as opposed to now um, playing in the survival snapshot and going underground. Yes, still dangerous, but one torch is going to do a lot more than, than it would have previously. Right. Yeah. So, um, and also, like, I was also digging down in those snapshots, uh, not digging up for iron uh, or up for coal. Uh, you and I have both talked about the uh, the need to bring coal with you when you go down oh, yes. uh, into the deeper, dark parts of the world now. And uh, I think there's a there's a different there's a sine wave now to the to the digging uh, of of Minecraft. Like before you go down, you have to go up. You know, you got to find a mountain. Dig, get, dig as much coal out of that mountain as you can. Uh, hopefully you'll find some iron in the process and then you'll be ready to go down to uh, to the lower levels. And 
I'm guilty of, of trying to get through things quickly on, on a stream, uh, but I know a lot of the Minecraft player base can be a little bit impatient. Uh, and I think that this is kind of Mojang forcing people to slow down and think about think about the game in a different way and try to expand that early mid-game experience rather than people just kind of going staircase down to Y11, see ya, you know, uh, the first thing that they do in a server. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's going to be, it's going to be an interesting uh dynamic because i think the people that are going to do that are going to find it's n- n- frustrating like I, I i don't think that's going to be a viable strategy i think you're going to be better off with just a little bit more patience um but that said i think that that could be really cool in that if you decide to slow it down and maybe not just mine for stuff maybe you're going to build yourself a mountain village maybe your house is going to be stuck on the side of this gorgeous mountain that you just found and in the process of digging that out and doing all that prep for your creative build not in creative mode but like your survival house that you're building you could end up with more resources than you would have had otherwise like if you did that in in minecraft now you might get a little bit of coal but you're mostly going to be full of cobblestone and stone yeah right mm-hmm. maybe some diorite and granite and stuff so these days i think or not these days but like the, in the new snapshot i think that it's going to be a little bit more rewarding to explore all of the terrain that that minecraft has worked so hard to to put together it's an interesting counterpoint to our initial predictions that when this update arrived, we were just going to go underground and never be seen again. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they're giving us reasons to come back to the surface when it comes to this stuff. And it's also interesting that we're talking about slowing the player down when more and more recently there has been, and perhaps less so now, it's starting to tail off a little bit, but the community's focus on Minecraft speedrunners has been so intense in the last year and a half that I think it's really interesting to find that there is now a lot more to explore on the surface and a lot more standing in the way of potentially speedrunning the game. I don't think mechanically things have changed a whole lot and speedrunners are typically the kind of people who will go back to previous versions if it means they get a faster, clear time for the game anyway. But I think it's um, it's really interesting to see how maybe the average player's experience has adapted to this sort of speedrunning method. The, the, the people who, when I was checking out the snapshots for the first time and starting a new survival world every so often, would always tell me, hey, why don't you get iron from that iron golem in the village? Because that's the, the quickest way to get hold of some easy iron. Versus what I wanted to do was go and find where iron was generating now and play the game a little bit slower. I think maybe if players are encouraged to play the game a little slower from the get-go, it's sort of channeling the community in a different direction and asking them to enjoy more of the experience and, and yeah, like live life a little bit slower in Minecraft to begin with when there has been such a big community push in the opposite direction towards complete the game really quickly, get to end game status really fast. And you start to see a little bit of pushback against that now, like... Um, you know, the folks on the Hermitcraft server who aren't using Elytra as much because they want to just enjoy the ride a little bit more. Um, There's definitely a counterculture starting to develop uh, around how easy it is to just get to endgame now. And I don't think that's necessarily Mojang putting a roadblock in front of players who still want to do that because the stronghold's still going to generate in the same place. You're still going to acquire the resources the same way. The progression through the nether hasn't changed at all in this update. But maybe they'll tempt you with a couple of neat places it looks like you can build some things. And you're going to be less taking a, a beeline for for the uh, the end objectives at that stage. 
The only thing that has me concerned about some of the, uh, again, calling them roadblocks for the lack of a better term, but is the the number of ores now that are just not going to generate exposed to air. Yeah. Uh, There's a reason that I don't have a lot of netherite, and that's because it is such a pain in the butt to go look for because it's (laughs) always buried. Yeah. And uh it's so rare. Uh, and so, and I just, I just don't find I need it. I've got one, I've got one netherite pick of each variety, you know, um, silk touch and, and, um, fortune. And that's it. I don't really have anything else. Uh, I think my boots might be netherite. So the, the fact that so many of these blocks are not going to be on the wall of a cave, um, to, well, they say less, it's not like it's not going to have air exposure. It's going to have happened to, to be a lot less air exposure. But part of the thing that entices you to dig into a wall is that one little piece of iron that you see or that one little piece of coal that you see. And hopefully that will lead you to more coal, more iron, maybe a copper bit behind there. Like there's something cool about that experience. But I find walking down a cave with nothing indicating where I should dig is going to lead to just like the, well, I don't get to explore and find iron. I just have to pick a direction and dig and hope I hit something. Mm -hmm. And that to me isn't fun. Uh, I much prefer the idea of exploring a cave and getting some sort of geological hint. You should try to dig here or, hey, this is a cool spot because there's something exposed. Um, now, that might still happen because, again, I haven't spent any time in the snapshot. But I'm just there just seems to be a lot of the same note over and over again. Less exposed to air will only be covered by stone, deep slate or water. Yeah. Um, so water is good because then you can still see it, mm-hmm. right? Like, so you might be able to look into an aquifer and say, okay, well, I can't get to that iron, but I can see it 20 blocks away that it's, it's exposed and I can see that it's there. So that's cool. But like, there's just, there's going to be some, some moments I think where I'm just like, if I can't see it and I'm just like, well, if there's no indication where to dig, then it doesn't really matter. And that takes any kind of strategy that they want to form out of it where I can just kind of like spin a bottle and say, all right, I'm going to go that way. Mm-hmm. You know, like that to me isn't strategy. That's just like, I just have to dig until RNG decides to put, you know, iron in front of me. I, th- I think it's a a compromise between wanting players to put a bunch of time into like the, the, the effort required to dig out a larger amount of resources versus just gathering what's on the walls of a cave. I think you still can do that um, because there is still going to be iron ore and coal ore and so forth generating on the surface. Even the note about lapis from the changelog, um, you know, lapis now generates anywhere below Y64, so below sea level, um, and lapis above y32 so y32 to 64 that first 32 rows of blocks before we get down that low that's where it's not going to be generating exposed to air but between y32 and y negative 32 it is going to generate exposed to air so you still need to go further down in order to find it um like you know more easily available but if you happen to be digging around close to the surface, you stumble upon some lapis without having to go further down caving and you found a couple of diamonds in a village, suddenly you have easier access to enchanting. And so it's rewarding those occasional th- finds where you're either stumbling into something you know, by sheer chance or you're mining out an area for resources and you start to dig a couple of more valuable things out of the topsoil. Um, I think there is there is still an amount to which you can do the run through a cave and and find a decent amount of resources but if you want more than that if you want to stockpile those resources for later if you're looking for larger amounts of iron to go make hoppers and whatnot with before finding 
you know either a village that you can make an iron farm with or going down into lower levels to find more iron finding an iron rich mountain like the fact that i i'm even talking about there being multiple different ways you can find it i think shows that there is a lot more branching out in terms of approaches you can take i don't think it's cutting off any one approach really that extensively what it is is diversifying the range of things you can do from there yeah and to clarify uh, in case i misspoke it's it's reduced air exposure not no air exposure yeah. and and they've been and they've been it's just that that reduced air exposure note has been repeated several times in the show notes or in the, in the minecraft.net article as well so just, it sort of feels heavier handed than it really is just because you like it's happening to so many blocks um the other thing that i noticed uh in prepping for the show and kind of going over the new things is while i'm sure there's going to be an adjustment period as there always is um seeing all of the mountain biomes names together is a bit confusing yeah Mm -hmm. Um, we've got snow-capped peaks snowy slopes stony peaks lofty peaks now if you listening to this can tell me what the difference is between all those off the top of your head hats off to you i can barely say them let alone remember what's in them where is the one that has calcite which ones have goats which ones don't have goats um to me i think they could have maybe named them something different you know like mountains are not mentioned anywhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's not a mountainous peak you know it's not a mountain slope (laughs) you know it's um i do find that it's a little bit confusing peaks is used three times in those four biomes that I just named. Uh, so I, I find that whereas you're, you're going from something that's a plains biome to a birch forest to a taiga biome, uh, things like there are other meadow biomes like, uh, ca- uh, lush cave meadows, very different. You know, you understand immediately what they are and where to find them. Um, once you've read the descriptions, but I, I feel like I don't know where to look for, snow-capped peaks snowy slopes stony peaks and lofty peaks other than up yeah and i th- i think the the thing that's at play here is how much do we need to know the names of these i i, I understand like from from our perspective reporting on the changes in minecraft and wanting to discuss in more detail where we are in the world it kind of makes sense and there are definitely going to be some people who are sticklers for this kind of stuff and it's the same type of people who quibble over whether it's called a mesa or a badlands at this point right. like ultimately it doesn't matter what matters is where you're standing where the resources are and what you can get from there and i i honestly don't know if needing to know the distinction between those three different peak biomes is going to matter to 99.9 percent of players it's just down to us reading this changelog and trying to interpret it as best we can so yeah while i recognize that it's it's a bit of a pain remembering now which one is the snow captain which one is the lofty like it it to to the player once you're in the game and once this is a permanent feature of your world it's just going to be the big mountain over there you might even give it a name and then it doesn't matter whether it's a lofty peak or a stony peak you're going to just call it you know snake mountain or whatever you want to want to call it right at that stage um for the record because i think i have this down right now the snow-capped peaks are the ones where you'll find snow and then blue ice almost like a kind of glacier formation the stony peaks look like that they're more rounded but they're made of stone rather than having a lot of snow deposits and then the lofty peaks are the jagged ones uh that that is it if anyone wants to correct me on that then then i'm i'm fairly certain that i've got that memorized now but i i agree it is it's a little awkward at first but it's um it's something that i don't think is going to matter once we actually have them in the game the main thing is right now we're 
discussing all of them from a theoretical perspective and so right. the the names sort of become something that we stumble over and you know devil's advocate why not call lofty peaks jagged peaks you know just adding a descriptor in there is this and you know would help it depends whether or not they actually generate jagged because minecraft does weird things when it comes to terrain generation you you might find a peak that is quite right. tall but isn't necessarily as jagged as all that because it's generated a certain way so right. yeah i don't think they want to guarantee some of that stuff it's like the way they changed the name of grimstone to deep slate because they didn't want the adjective grim to imply something that the player didn't want to know about that biome and wanted the kind of imagination to kind of take over and project their own wishes onto it so lofty i guess you know doesn't feel all that different to jagged but at least it's not being so descriptive that it's you know removing any other ideas the player might have about it anyway i think that's probably where we need to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks because again we can can talk until the cows come home or the goats potentially come home about some of this stuff but in the meantime you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks that is where you can join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patreon only discord chat you can listen to the show live every week as we record it it also gets us closer to our next goals which are currently only 14 dollars per show away from a monthly minecraft audio hangout where each month we would sit down with our patrons and we could just have a nice conversation kind of like the quick login that joel and i have at the top of the show about what we'd all been doing in minecraft that month we're currently at 292 patrons which is up eight patrons from last week so another eight patrons this week and we'll be all the way up to 300 uh if you feel like hopping on board once again patreon.com slash the spawn chunks special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons who help make the show all the more possible that is general pattern 82 hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them they should listen to The Spawn Chunks and that they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Honestly, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spawn Chunks. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. The RSS feed is linked at thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where my Empire's SMP and Hardcore Survival Guide series are currently ongoing. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and sometimes I check out other games from time to time. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick search on YouTube. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast, all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, is at thecitadelcafe.com. We are going to be talking about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on Netflix. Yes, another one. Not the same one. Another one uh, on this week's show. That's going to be a lot of fun. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and at Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am streaming Minecraft and Satisfactory currently. Looking forward to some more art streams in the future. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, so let's keep things snappy.